The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, I love it in Flint. You're very astute. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Hello, Paul. Are you there? I'll uh, give him a call. Hey, there's Paul. There we are. We all here now? Yeah. I'm here. Good morning, Paul. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. And, hey, Jam. Uh, Hi. The, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning to you. Good morning. And, of course, joining us uh, this week, um, it's always a treat to have East Village Magazine co- consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson with us. Good morning, Jan. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing Good okay. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Jim. <laughs> Good morning. I've been scrambling with the phone a little bit, but let's go ahead and kick it off. We uh, usually start with some quotes, the first one being, finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this, when the president does it, that means that it's, how would that you finish legal. this quote? Legal. Legal. Isn't that the Nixon quote? It is indeed. Uh, when the president <laughs> does it, that means that it's not illegal. Oh, not illegal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> As from Richard Nixon, and, and a lot of people, I think, by now um, realize this Friday is the uh, 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in. Oh, I knew it was coming up soon. That's right. Yeah, 50 years. <clears throat> this Friday, mm. 50 years since the Watergate break-in. And, and I've been watching, I haven't seen it all yet, but I've been watching the... Uh, the CNN special with John Dean. Yeah, really good. I've been watching it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. it, it it is really quite good. And uh, there's a piece on on uh, CNN's website um, 
it's an interview with John Dean about um, the difference between Richard Nixon and Donald Trump. That's kind of interesting. Is shame one of the words that came yeah, up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you saw that. <laughs> said that Nixon actually had shame yeah, yeah, for well, some of his well, yeah. actions. Well, when push came to shove, he did finally resign in the end. I mean, when the the Barry Goldwater and the other Republicans approached him, and he, he said, uh, he, and he threw he, in the towel, and he said in that resignation for the good of the presidency. That's yeah. true. That's and, true. And I and I think he really meant that. I almost went with the quote about you don't know how high you've climbed until you see how low you can oh, sink. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, that was in uh, in the the first big interview. Mm. I think it was Time Magazine after he'd been out of office for a while. And you know, if there was anybody that ever deserved to be called the comeback kid, it was Richard Nixon. Yeah, you know, there were so many yeah. comebacks. And he was yeah, making he, another one post-Watergate. They were starting to contact him for comments on different world events, you know, like an elder statesman. He was, you know, he, well, he, he was living down the disgrace. It was kind yeah. of interesting to watch. I mean, he, he was well-informed on foreign policy issues. There's no doubt about that. Whatever other flaws he had, and there were many, <laughs> when it came to foreign policy, he, 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 knew, his, he knew his stuff. Uh, yeah. And as a result of his admission of um, that he did something wrong, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, the things that he did, he accomplished, are well remembered. You know, the funny thing is, today, so many of those things, we, he would be counted almost as a liberal Democrat. I mean, some of the environmental things he did would be considered uh, very, very progressive for the. Yes, for he the, tried to pay like, his health care. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting that CNN series, when they were talking about, I think it was um, Leon Jaworski, when yeah. he came on board as the special counsel, I think it was. Uh, you guys might have the specifics down. And the people who worked for him just said, oh, he's, he's, gonna, he's not going to do a good job. He's going to, you know, because he had Republican leanings and everything. And he just, he just said, hey, we're following the facts. And ended yeah. up having a powerful role in, um, you know, getting justice there. It's like, where are those people now? Where, where are? I mean, there were so many characters like John. Well, Sirica. and that's that's going to come up a little bit because of this, uh, because of these uh, hearings that are happening on the the January sixth incursion and connections to Donald Trump and uh, and and some of Bill Barr's uh, comments. Yeah, right. And yeah. we'll get we'll get into all of that a little bit later. Here's a quote that got my attention this week. And no law-abiding gun owner should be offended by this. We take no rights away, no privileges away. We don't basically threaten you're going to lose anything at all, except maybe if we don't do this, you might lose a child or a grandchild. Was that um Matt, Was that Matt McConaughey? Or? No, that was uh, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia oh, on oh, Monday defended a new, uh, newly reached bipartisan gun deal as a pragmatic step forward that won't threaten gun owners' second rights or Second Amendment rights. Hmm. Will this? I would have guessed Elizabeth Cheney would have said that. Uh, she's guess. she's she's 
busy over in the other room. <laughs> yeah, she got her hands full over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> will this will this action, this bipartisan uh, legislation, have any real effect on reducing the number of mass shootings that seem mm. to be on the rise? It's we have to. It's pretty yeah. modest, you know. I, you know, maybe maybe at the margins, but it's a pretty modest proposal to be. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a, not a dramatic change. And my and my opinion about that is that we got to do more in some other areas. Uh, yeah. It's not, it, we have to look at the human nature factor, mm-hmm. and we've got to yeah. uh, reduce this excuse that people are mentally ill. Well, proponents, but proponents of this bill would say that that's exactly what this bill attempts to do, is set in motion funding and programs to try to head these things off before they become events. Well, that's all well and good, but it still avoids the three-letter word that um, that Second Amendment fanatics can't stand to hear, which is the word gun. I mean, uh, I would like to see some direct um, attention to the idea of the gun, you know. that. So, I mean, I'm glad that they're putting in the mental health provisions. That's not a bad thing, but I think it's a political calculus by Mitch McConnell et al., to uh, yeah. be able to tell their constituents, oh yeah, we did gun, we did gun reform. We did a little bit of something. We we reduced the amount of bullets from seventy five to sixty five. So, but we we made a step. In the, you know that again, it's it's a very modest proposal. I, I I don't see it dramatically changing an awful lot. The uh, the the one thing that I think is is worthy of mention is that these these events seem to be on the rise, and for the first time. Some action has been taken. That much is true. Yeah, that's true. It's and yeah. and, uh, <clears throat> and I think uh, maybe Manchin's right when he says uh, it, it's a pragmatic step forward. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is even the polling among gun owners is such that uh, many of them support that. It's the NRA types, who, the organization of the NRA, and and similar groups that are the ones most adamant against any kind of change. But uh, well, how many? How many you see on gun owners suggest they'd be open to at least some fairly reasonable accommodations? Right. I mean, the the polls suggest that even gun owners want more yeah. uh, reform than is being offered here. But well. The majority, at least. Well, how many how many more mass shootings do you think it will take before oh. action includes? Uh, I don't know. It's a, a, a red yeah, it's, flag it's, component. You know, when when I watch the news, it's almost like the mass shooting is there with the weather and the sports. It's almost like a daily report. Uh, you know, here's today's mass shooting someplace, whether it's a shopping mall or a school or a church or something. It's uh, it's getting to be a regular part of the news broadcast. Yeah. We've got to redefine uh, mass shootings because it doesn't fit what we observe. <clears throat> mass shootings, when people use guns to uh, attack society, to kill uh, without discrimination uh, people, that's kind of a mass shooting. But when people are working in gangs and their families are mad at each other like the Well, most McCoy's of these, though, Henry, most of these uh, that are getting the attention and that are getting the biggest reactions are are not the gunfights in the parking lot outside a bar, you know, between gangs. It's 
somebody walks into a school or a shopping mall or a movie theater and indiscriminately and shoots people. But there was comments uh, that were written uh, uh, that pertains to the same subject that I've talked about, that we don't have the definition of mass shootings. And mass shootings uh, throughout the world, that other people look at how the United States in this condition, as if we're completely out of control, can no longer control the population. Our laws don't work. The Constitution has failed. Stuff like that. We've got to put it back in a perspective so it... It, it describes reality. Well, it's, it's, it's hard not to believe some of those comments, Henry, when you look at the, at the films of uh, the Capitol building on January 6th. Right. You know, are uh, we you know, able another to control element, people? Well, I mean, multiple people are still dead by the gun, by the gun, you know, multiple people. And, I mean, the, another angle to it that always sort of wrenches my heart is the proportion of gun deaths that are suicides. Yeah, it's it's a huge number um, that are. I, th- I think there's more suicides than their actual mur- by, by a small margin. Right, more deaths by suicide than murders. So we're, you know, what is <clears throat> what is that about? And I mean, you can tie that all into the mental health aspects of it. Um, but nonetheless, how many lives could be saved if somebody who's feeling suicidal doesn't have the option of a gun handy? I, exactly. I, it's a complicated question. I don't think there's an easy answer there, but um, there does seem but to be sort of a spreading sense I, of dis- that's being... There are crazy. alternatives, but I, I think your point is well taken, um, Jan, that, you know, guns make it quick and easy. Right. Well, I don't disagree yeah. with you, Jan, because I agree that we need to look at those. But we have to look at... Um, the base population that um, the Constitution intends to protect, we the people, the people of the United States, and not uh, just segments of the population uh, who decide to kill each other for different reasons. But we've got to go after those who attack the intent of safety that the Constitution provides for the United States, and that's the people. Ah. And when you... When, when that's you, a thing that I hadn't thought about before, Henry, that it should be based on the kind of... the kind of... or the intention of the shooter uh, uh, rather than... That, 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 that sh- rather than the use of the gun, that if the, if the shooter's intention is more... Uh, um, institutional or is is yeah. aimed more yeah. at government institutions or societal institutions. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like to you, that makes a difference. Yes, that, that makes a big difference to me because people are going to kill each other. They I will do that. Yeah. So hey, we, con- the Constitution shouldn't be used to protect protect society from family like that issues. Well, our citizens, by their citizenship, automatically soldiers and or combatants if there is a, a civil insurgent. Yes. Um, well, that was, hey, that was the definition a, of the old yeah, revolution back in the 1790s. We've got to, that's where it really comes from. We've got to take a break here, but we'll come back, and I have another question uh, coming up. Um, 
We'll be back with more armchair politics after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? 
Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, we have uh, our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by East Village Magazine consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson. And we've added a fourth person to the call, who is my uh, favorite Oakland County activist, uh, Pam Gerard, PG. Good morning, PG. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? And good morning to the roundtable. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And Mr. Hatter, you know I have always loved you. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I'm I'm so elated. I can say that I can hear Henry blushing over the phone. <laughs> Thank you. You know, um <clears throat> every time we have a shooting and a mass shooting of this nature, the dialogue always appears to come, and the focus goes to mental health, not to the fact that the parents knew that this child, 18, 14, 15, 12, had access to assault rifles. The dialogue is not the fact that this child, for whatever reason, be it a manifesto or racism, went and shot up people. I don't believe that it boils down to mental health. It boils down to irresponsible gun control and laws. Now, here's the flip side of the coin, and I always, always, take the opportunity to have conversations with people when these situations happen. It is about race. And here's the media narrative. When black kids shoot up their neighborhood, they're often referred to as thugs. We've Mm, got to get these guns off the streets. Mm -hmm. But when a white kid goes into a white school, goes into a white community, goes to uh, a white um, uh, situation like the man in Las Vegas where people were just having a good time and they shoot up the place, they kill a lot of people. The first thing that comes out is mental health. The next thing that comes out is how was this person raised? Well, he was raised without a father. How many black and brown youth are raised without their parents? Fathers, mostly, but sometimes mothers. They don't go at that age, 18, and buy an assault rifle and shoot up the place because their parent was not in the house. How do we stop this? That's the question. But we can't Mm -hmm. sugarcoat it. That guy is a killer, just like Kyle Rittenhouse. He was a killer, and he got off, and he got praised by the Republican Party and offered a job. How do we stop this? 
Yeah. Yeah, that kid went down to Mar-a-Lago, for God's sake. That's right, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what, I, one thing I found, one of the more curious things about all these shootings is that it seems to me that, in terms of school shootings, that the great bulk of them take place in relatively rural, all-white, middle-class, suburban schools. Not very many of them take place in the inner-city schools. Now, there's other issues there, obviously. But I've never been able to quite explain why that's the case. Well, there's a guy who wrote a book um, about Columbine, a true crime story was the name of the book. I sadly can't remember the author's name, but he was on the show. And he had looked into that and explored that at length. And he made some, um, he, he had a theory about why these typically happen in rural areas. The shooters themselves were often outsiders. And mm-hmm. there was no place for them to connect with people and identify with people. And he, he pointed to some urban areas where, uh, you know, there might be a, a, an overpass somewhere or uh, an old empty shopping center and, and kids... The, the outcasts would collect there, and there'd be a little bit of, you know, almost like a support group. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. doesn't happen in rural areas. But I don't so think these, that that gets these kids most. These kids fester until the only way they can express themselves is by some wild act. Yeah. That was that was his theory. Now I'm not, you know, that there may be other contributing factors certainly, but but that was why he said they tend to more often be in rural areas than you, you don't see them in big cities. You don't see many. You know, I'm thinking you know Columbine, Oxford, Michigan, uh, the, the Texas, Tex- in South South Texas. I mean, don't forget so about Jonesboro, Arkansas. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to uh, raise up what you just said about the use of words. That, you know, as a word person myself, I, I want to say the distinction you made there about the use of the word thug um, and being applied, to, being applied to black kids when something like that happens, it, yeah. it affects how pe- what people say should be done. <sighs> and and, it's, and right. it really does reflect societal biases. And um, and a lack of willingness to understand the context or whatever. So I really appreciate you making that point about the words that are used. It's uh, it's a marked difference, isn't it? Well, here's yeah. another thing that I'm thinking about. And Tom, you were just talking about uh, the book that was wrote, and I do remember the um, I can't think of his name right now, but it was a it was an amazing book. Well, he and was he, wrote he it was several years ago. He was the first reporter on the scene at Columbine. Exactly, exactly. Um, but here, here's the thing: when you said that it doesn't happen at, I don't even like the word urban. Just say it. It doesn't happen at black schools. It doesn't happen at black schools. It doesn't happen in big cities. Whether they're largely black uh, communities like uh, Detroit or Chicago or Atlanta or not, um, you know. It doesn't happen there because I think a lot of the kids are aware. A lot of the kids are aware because they're living in abject 
poverty and they're living in those communities where guns is an everyday occurrence. But mass shootings well, of, I've, I've of, heard of some. innocent people is not in their community. A lot of times when you hear about black-on-black black crime, and I hate to say this, but it's usually drug-related. It's usually uh-huh. some kind of stolen car yeah. ring or stolen parts ring, and people are, are, are shooting for turf and all of this stuff. You don't hear about a black student going into his school doing a mass shooting True. like this guy. You no, don't hear no, about No, you that. don't. Why no. is that? Now, people who are yeah, listening to this mean. program will note one thing, that the guest speaker and the Republican are on the same page. Exactly. We're not skirting excuses <laughs> for all of yeah. that. Exactly. And we just need to, you know, be focused on these differences. You know, it, it's a shame that every time there's a mass shooting, it's not about these kids or people that lose their lives innocently like Buffalo. This guy targeted that grocery store because these people were black. He was in a black neighborhood. We need to talk about gun control and not politicize it. It shouldn't just be the topic when it's a mass shooting. Everybody knows that an 18-year-old has no business buying an assault rifle that they're using in the military. What is the purpose of it? Who is he protecting himself from? Mm -hmm. If you're going to buy a rifle and go check into the military, take it with you. But you don't need an (laughs) AR-15, AKA-47. You don't need guns like that at 18 years old to be able to walk around and have these thoughts "Mm, to make the news. I'm going to go shoot up this school right here. I'm going to go shoot up this church right here. And here's the other thing. When you arrest a white shooter, or what I'm calling a baby-faced killer. Oh, yeah, (laughs) I know what you're saying. He gets handcuffed in the front. Mm -hmm. They may stop and get him some water because he's thirsty. They may even take him to Burger King. What happens (laughs) when it's a black criminal? He's put on the ground. He's stomped on the head. He's handcuffed from the back. He's handcuffed really tight. He may get tased. He might even lose his life. And even a criminal has rights when they're arrested. But there is a difference. And if people are not going to call out the difference, because race matters every day. When people say race doesn't matter, (coughs) if it doesn't matter, then why are we living in a caste system? Why is there a different income level for the same jobs for different nationality of people? Why is the funding different in black and brown areas versus other affluent areas? Because race does matter. And we have got to address the race issue. We have to talk about the way the media publicize these differences, and they do it to sell stories. But it's not, just, it's not just black and brown. There are gender issues. There are gender? sexual yes. preference issues. And, and the answer to the question you asked is, why is it like this? It's because the people who have the money say so. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so painfully true. 
Can we vote them out of office, Tom? That's the trillion-dollar question. Only if we vote. Yeah, when yeah we you, have, you gotta turn up and be involved. When we have, uh, especially at the local level, when we have single-digit turnout for primary and general off-year elections for local offices, we get what we what we ask for. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's the reality. Is like, yeah. and, and, and time you're exactly right. We got the primary coming up in a. Uh, a bit over a month now, and, I, and it, if, if we hit twenty percent, we'll be very lucky, and it may well be a single single percentage digit. Well, there's there's a there's there's a, a weird strobe light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> <laughs> on this because my my favorite vote in a long time, and I wrestled with whether to include this in the opening quotes or to make it part of the uh, X Files, but the actual quote is: "Dead people always vote Democrat." Oh yes, I that commercial. <laughs> Good guy. You, you've I heard, know which commercial you're talking about. You've, you've seen this commercial for Kevin Rinke, one of the yes. GOP Good. candidates uh. in the primary for governor. His latest campaign what? ad is nothing if not eye-catching. The ad designed to bolster the Michigan car dealers' campaign for the Republican gubernatorial nomination features Rinky standing next to an actor made up to look like a zombie wearing <laughs> yes. a Biden-Harris T-shirt and multiple I voted stickers. Why is yeah. it that dead people always vote Democratic, uh. Rinky says, motioning to the zombie with bugged-out eyes and a wide-open mouth. Rinky goes on to accuse Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer of failing to crack down on voter fraud, saying that if he wins the governorship, <laughs> he'll make sure that voters are registered, identified, and alive. And guess what, Tom? Are, if he's elected... He will be calling every election looking for 11,780 votes. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Every time I see that ad, I just roll my eyes. If there's an, uh, uh, an award for an over-the-top ad, that's got to be it. That's well, let, let, agree. this is something <laughs> I would expect to see in, in Illinois, Paul. Are, uh, are, de are dead people a good demo for Dems? <laughs> well, you know, there there was a story. I did a column for East Village a while back, and I, and then you know I was talking about the uh, voter fraud issue, and I said, you know, there was a, been a few cases. There was one guy in Colorado who voted for his dead wife, uh, and they voted for Trump. And the problem was he had, he was charged with murdering his dead wife before the election. So I mean, <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Man, I mean, it's not funny so, that he was charged with that, but the circumstances. Well, yeah, I mean, here he, here he is after he kills his. Apparently, I mean, I, I don't know if he was convicted or not, but he was charged with a murder, and he he voted for her, and they both voted for Trump. So I don't know. There was a really uh, a very very cogent quote during the hearings. I think it was a guy from uh, Georgia who said, or Pennsylvania, I guess, who said. There were not 8,000 dead people who voted. There weren't even eight. Did you remember that line? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I missed that one. Day. Yeah, no, I yeah, saw I mean, that. Well, I didn't. I haven't seen any of the. I haven't seen any of the. Um, of uh, Monday's hearing. In a course Tom, they, if you can go back and watch it, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Yeah, Representative Zoe. Lofgren, she yeah, is amazing. 
She's good, wasn't she? Yeah, she I'll, I'll have to watch it because what's being reported from it is not very good. It's not. And it just goes to show you, you know, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and a lot of people in New York, they have always known that Trump was a phony. They always knew that Trump took advantage of any financial system. He never felt that he should pay taxes. That was for the little people. And this whole incident, this whole thing that we've dealt with since 2016, when the Russians helped him get installed into the people's office, and this 2020 election, it just shows his level of corruption. You make a and good point, E.G., about, about terms of the, the, the different key thing that came out on Monday was the, the funds he's raised since all these claims have been made about the, the fake election. $250 million. They've gone yeah. to all kind of little sidebar concerns of his friends and supporters. Yeah, with that kind of money, you election. could with that kind of money you could fund a real election. That's right. <laughs> I really could. That's the point that they were that they were making in those hearings. I thought Monday's Monday's hearings were just really compelling. And uh, the point they made was, why couldn't he accept, or why did he choose not to accept his well, loss when it's obvious <clears throat> he knew it was Trump needs money. money. I'm going to make a point. Money. He owes Deutsche Bank, and he owes Vladimir Putin. I'm going to make and sure Vladimir's and watch. going to collect his money KGB style. You watch and see. I'm going to make sure and go back and watch that because um, the news coverage had me believing that Monday's, uh, Monday's hearing was kind of a disappointment compared to the one I really? had seen before. Oh, no. Really? The, the, coverage, oh, I didn't think so. the coverage made it sound like it was all remote control that it was all videotaped depositions oh. and that there wasn't oh. you know a lot of live testimony and new information Tom, um, i'll tell you where that came from one of the people i think it was stempian that was supposed to be it was stempian his wife his went wife into labor so he had to beg off yes. his wife had a baby yeah, but, so but, they but they, they went had back video and showed that Show yeah. the the tape recorded testimony. But which see, that's where that's that's where news drops the ball a lot of times because they turn that into the headline from the event, and huh. uh, and and it gave me a complete wrong impression of the day's events. Yeah, no, it was huh. it was maybe a little yeah. less dramatic than the previous one, but still the, the substance was very solid. Yeah. Oh, the substance was well, compelling. the I first thought, time's yeah. always the best. The truth. Um, <laughs> can anybody remember the the Fox Two guy's name that lost it? The the reporter or yeah. the anchor from Fox that lost his job. Now that was something yeah. that I learned yeah. new watching the hearing. I didn't know that he lost his job because he was the first to announce that Trump had lost the election in in Arizona. In Arizona, right? right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How did that happen? Dial wall or something like that. I my that was one of my favorite moments in uh, Monday's hearing when they asked him that guy uh, who won the election. Did you you remember that moment? Yeah, he said <laughs> Joseph Robinette Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph Robinette Biden. You know? That was a classic <laughs> moment right there, and the way he said, Jan, the way he said Robinette Biden. Yeah. Made me yeah. laugh. 
that was part well, of Well, I'm going to have to go back and watch that, but we're getting ahead of, uh, ahead of ourselves a little bit. I want to I wanna come back to um, some of the local and state things before we move on to the, the national stage. Mayor Sheldon Neely will roll out his pan, plan for spending the city's remaining uh, Rescue Plan Act funds in a special meeting this week, an announcement from the mayor's office Monday said Neely will present his plan during a special meeting. This was supposed to take place yesterday uh, mm. in council chambers inside Flint City Hall. Flint was awarded $94.7 million in ARPA funds more than a year ago, and some of that amount has already been committed by, by the city, including $16 million that is uh, expected to help fund a large-scale demolition program focused on Flint. The mayor's... Uh, ARPA plan is expected to include a one-time use of more than $8 million to help lower a projected $14 million shortfall in the budget adopted for fiscal year that begins July 1st. Chief Financial Officer Robin or Robert um, Whittigan um, <clears throat> told the City Council of the portion of the, of the plan during a special committee meeting on May 31st Without using federal ARPA funds to replace revenue lost during the COVID-19 pandemic, the budget deficit would force Flint to use most of its fund balance or rainy day funds to make up for that shortfall, leaving it with less than $10 million in reserves. Neely has said he also wants to address blight, public safety, and other concerns with the federal funds. His detailed plan was not immediately available from a city spokeswoman on Monday. Uh, should be coming out today, um, but my my question is, how much impact will these dollars and projects have in really improving conditions in Flint and its future? I think it'll be t it'll be temporary. I think we're going to face a serious financial crisis with all of those legacy costs a couple of years down the road. And I think Whittigan's you know on something solid there that uh, we we may we'll be looking at another bankruptcy financial crisis of one kind or another all too soon once these funds are gone uh, i agree it's not going to be enough money no yeah if we don't have a source of new money uh coming in from the outside and without grants from the government we're in trouble right in fact, I, I, i'm looking at the list of how the money is being spent and one of the most curious yeah. categories is that $22 million is going for what's called financial responsibility. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Not quite sure what that means. Is that, is that the lawsuit fund? I'm sorry? Is that the lawsuit fund? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, say, I did the, uh, he's got $33 million for housing and blight, $11 million for economic development, $6 million for public health, 7 for infrastructure, uh, $3 million for pay for essential workers, and $22 million for financial responsibility. We just seem like an odd an odd category for, for a financial listing. I don't know what, what they're referring to at all there. Well, that's the like in the gap. The reporter should be asking, huh? Well, yeah. we're going to have to take a uh, short break here, but we'll come back to that when Armchair Politics continues. If you're listening to us on WFOVLP, uh, our voice is Radio 92.1 FM Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, 
we have some messages as well so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse we'll have more armchair politics on the tom sumner program when we come back stay tuned Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage? Basketball or soccer? So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. 
But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop attorney generaling. We got a concert to get to. I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue with today's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for uh, today's edition, we have, of course, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, and they're joined by... uh, Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine. We also have my favorite Oakland County activist, PG, on the line. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> hey, got a got a quick uh, got another quick one uh, from from local news before we move on to state stuff. In fact, I've got two or three here. Uh, the misdemeanor case against Danielle Green, the former Flint school board president, who allegedly assaulted a colleague during a public meeting, has been assigned a final pre-tri- uh, pre-trial date and jury trial date if necessary. Mm. Green appeared in Genesee County District Court, Judge Herman Marable's courtroom, Mm. for a pretrial hearing on Monday. Uh, Rico Neal, Green's attorney, stated that they are close to a resolution on the matter. Is a settlement a good outcome, or is there information that won't come out unless there's a full trial? Oh, boy. Um, I, I don't know. I, I would think from Green's point of view, a, a quick settlement just to get this out of her hair would be the wisest move. But in terms of the public interest, there might be some more information worth knowing. But I, w- I would think that... From the, the I think there's more to view, this story than we've, we've yeah, been told. Yeah. It's, it's such a painfully complicated story to me that, um, you know, uh, Laura McIntyre is quite... She is a difficult person. She's a she's provocative, and I'm not saying that he caused it. I'm not. I'm not saying that nothing you know, ever Daniel justifies that that kind of behavior. Um, no, but it's no. so out of character for her, and yeah. it just seems that there's a lot more to this story than we've been told. Tom, I think you're on to something. So the allegation was that she physically assaulted the person? She, yeah. It yes, was in a public yeah. finance meeting, PG. She got up from her chair and went over and punched her out. Oh, wow. Grabbed her by the I neck. mean, this was... She grabbed her by the neck. And it was this witnessed she, by many people. In yeah, fact, so I, didn't no she need medical there. treatment after the, the assault? Uh, well, some minor medical treatments? Uh, she she went to the emergency room for yeah. Some that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like her character. What it sounds to me like, and I wasn't there to witness it. Something else happened with them two prior. That's and well, whatever that something else is, that. it really yeah. took her to the point that she went beyond her professional comfort zone. And she probably said to herself, if she does it again, I can't control my reaction. That's what it sounds like to me. 
Well, that's, that's what it sounds I mean, like to me. That's kind of the impression I got. But like I say, the the, the news reports and um, even some of what's been released from the court filings really I don't tell us much more than what I've already described to you, PG. But PG, um, I so much appreciate your comments. You are right on. I wish you were a Republican. I'm going to try to recruit you. <laughs> so, uh, but you, you're, you're exactly right. We know that we live in tough times when our nation is badly divided. Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, temperaments got in the way of the leader of the school. Well, you've got now, a head start you, on, that, uh, on that confirmation or, or transformation, Henry, because she is alive. <laughs> I'm glad of that. But uh, I, I think that Ms. Green, no matter what comes your way, when you're in a leadership chair, you have to endure it. Right. You cannot, you yeah. cannot overreact. Because and I don't the public will never violence. forgive you. Right. And your critics will double down on you. Right. Yeah. So, uh yeah, I'm sure that if Miss Green had it to do it over again, she would do it differently. Mm-hmm. I, I know that Absolutely. she probably would. Well, hasn't she offered some kind of, some kind of an apology? I thought there was some kind of a statement she made sometime afterwards. It was a a bit of an apology of some sorts. Um, well, immediately you know they're not going to accept an apology. They're going no. to run this story to keep yes. it going in the media because it just so happened that she's African-American. And this is, this is why people feel so slighted about the media coverage. There's two sides to every story. It reminds me of when I was in school and there was a bully, and every day this kid bullied me. I told the principal. We were in elementary school. I told the principal. I told my mom. My mom drove around the corner and talked to his mother and he was a big kid. I was a tall girl, but I was skinny. He was a tall guy, and he was muscular. He didn't look like a fourth grader. He looked like an eighth grader. <laughs> and every day, he bullied me. And I got to the point where I said, today is the day. And when mm. he pushed me, I jumped on him like a barracuda or a honey badger, and we went to town. And because I got the best of him, he told his mom, and his mom came around the corner and told my mom. Now, what should have been said to him? You've been doing this to her every day, and you got a taste of your own medicine. Did I feel bad about fighting him? Yes. You solved that problem. He never tried it again. No, he didn't, and we became the best of friends. I had the same experience. (laughs) Huh. I stood up. I, I, don't know. I stood I just, up to a bully one time and ended up knocking out his two front teeth. <laughs> and and uh, I didn't have trouble with bullies much after that. But whenever I got in a fight, my dad would sit me down and tell me how disappointed he was that I couldn't think of uh, that I wasn't smart enough to think of another yes. way to handle the mm. problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like we have to think about what role does everybody play in these situations where violence ends up the solution. I mean, we're heading in a direction societally where it's becoming much more casually accepted that there's going to be a violent outcome, you know? And 
I mean, I I just feel like the role of uh, when there's arguments that are taking place, that people really have to seriously consider how they are saying what they're saying, right. what they're saying, uh, how they resolve differences, uh, the degree to which they start attacking people personally. Correct. Which I think I, which I think is an element in this particular situation we're talking about. Um, I mean, you know, like I feel like some of the progressive folks that I know and love go overboard in their attacks on others and demeaning people who disagree with them. And, you know, it is exasperating, but um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't get a good result if basically we're attacking other people and getting personal about, about them. I, just, I feel like we really seriously have to think about how we are making our arguments. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. on to something. You're well, on to something. I, gotta, here's a th- I want to try and squeeze one more oh, in I'm before sorry, we Tom. go to the break at the top. Former Governor Rick Snyder can refuse to testify during a civil bellwether trial in federal court, but a judge ruled Tuesday that when he invokes his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, she will ask the questions and the jury will be there to hear it. Ooh. U.S. District Court Judge Judith Levy told attorneys in the trial that she plans to question Snyder and four other potential witnesses who have been charged with crimes related to the water crisis and who have said they will refuse to testify in the civil case. Has taking the fifth come to imply guilt? Yes. Yeah, I think it's, it's I often think had it's that always same. been that way. It's often had that same, yeah, even when it wasn't the case, but I think it's had that image. I don't think it. I don't think it really speaks to guilt. I think it speaks to you know something and you don't want to say to incriminate the people that you pander yes. to. And I Another think that's yeah. Ali that North. Right he was doesn't the famous Ali North. I, I I plead the Fifth Amendment. He was the famous guy. He took a fall for President Reagan. Ali North. But but that right to um, take the fifth as to not incriminate others doesn't exist. Only That's as right. it applies it's yourself. to you. Tom has got to include others because it if doesn't. someone knows something and they can answer a question to tell the truth about that particular matter, they could do it. When they invoke the Fifth Amendment, they're saying, I don't want to be the person that tells what I know. Yeah, so but, but I'm going to take the Fifth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment. Yeah, legal legal, legal basis is it only applies to yourself. The Fifth right. Amendment right. doesn't say that. Nowhere does it say you can do that. You, you know, you're you're essentially um, refusing to answer, and you're in contempt of court when you. But do But why that. are you refusing I'm, to answer? I'm sure. Usually, people are refusing to answer because it will incriminate them in some mm-hmm. way. That's the word. That's the words that are used, actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. Incriminate themselves. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's and an individual right, not a group right. No, yeah. I, I, and, I, and PG, you may be right. Some people may have, uh, you know, used it in that way, but it's improper. Mm-hmm. Well, the classic and the best, yeah. most memorable, I plead the Fifth Amendment, is Ollie North. Uh well, there's also Eric Trump. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm not sure that he knows what it means. 
Um, <laughs> but we. What um, would Daddy do to him if he was talking about hanging the vice president at the insurrection? Well, we got to take I another. Got to take another quick break here at the top of the hour for show ID, but we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics right after this uh, this quick break, and uh, I hope you'll you'll stay with us. And don't forget that uh, if you missed the interview with uh, Donna Brandenburg this morning, it's in the it'll be in the archive later Zunzik, don't today. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 